those pictures. We truly do have so many blessings to celebrate. It, it's awesome. And, and there are many ways in which our life is pleasant. It's a little bit Pleasantville here in Frankfurt and Mokina and New Lenox and all the surrounding suburbs in Chicago. There's a lot to celebrate and be grateful for. And, and as we'll hear in today's message, Life is also not always as it seems. There are challenges, there are difficulties, some brought on by our own sins, some brought on by the sins of others. And we want to talk openly about that because you and I, we have desires for the next generation. And we want them to understand that as, as beautiful and blessed as life can be, it is also going to be filled with challenges from our big three enemies, the devil, the world, our own sinful flesh, it's going to be filled with challenges just because we're human and it's the world that we live in. So today we're going to look at Psalm 78 because definitely there were challenges in those days too, as pleasant as many things were. This was probably written by a man named Asaph um, right around King David's reign, maybe a little after King David's reign. And things are going exceptionally well. David is, his kingdom is growing and expanding. There are victories to celebrate. If this was written during the time of Solomon, even more so. A great period in the history of Israel. And so there were things to, to celebrate, but there were also things to be real about. And that's what this is going to talk to us about. So if you've got your Bible... Or if you want to open up your Bible app, feel free. We're in Psalm 78. Now, Psalm 78 is the second longest psalm in the Bible. Uh, psalm 119 is the longest. Just a little trivia for your Trivial Pursuit games. Psalm 78 is the second longest. That's why we're not going to read the whole thing. We're only going to read the first eight verses. And then I'm going to set up the very first point in my message today by telling you just in brief what the rest of the psalm says. So let's read verses 1 to 8, and then, then I'll talk to you a little bit about the rest of the psalm. I want to dive right into God's Word today. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. In other words, we have a history and we kind of know our history. And we're also committed that we're not going to hide our history either. 
We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which He commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. We want these things passed down, in other words. Then they would put their trust in God, and they would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. That's the result that we're looking for. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. If you were to read from verse 8, and you go 9 all the way down to verse 72 of Psalm 78, you know what you're going to hear? You're going to hear a recitation of the history of Israel and all the things that God had done for them up to the time of Asaph. You're going to hear about things like the deliverance from slavery in Egypt, how God opened up the, the Red Sea and gave them a means of escape when they thought all their means of escape were closed off. You're going to hear about how good God has been to them and how blessed they were to be called His children, the children of Israel. And in this recitation of history, really Asaph is trying to get them to do two things. One, be real. One, understand that there are real challenges and difficulties in life and, and you need to set your expectations correctly, but also to look back upon all the times when the children of Israel thought all their options were used, that there were no more chances for them to be saved or rescued or to get where they want to get. How in the world are they going to get into the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey, when we're wandering around for 40 years in a wilderness that has no water or food. What are our options here, Lord? And God will show them. When we're out of options, He always has options. He, he's never out of options. And so that's the history that gets recited in the rest of Psalm 78, the history that Asaph is saying, People, hear this history. Hear my teaching. Listen to these words that are going to come out of my mouth because I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to tell you in a story format all the things that God has done for us already. And then he says something interesting. He says, I will utter hidden things. Why are they hidden? Why does he call these things that he's going to tell them hidden. Well, it's weird, to be honest. It's kind of odd because as you go and read on, none of these things really were hidden. Not, not in the normal way of speaking about being hidden. These were all events that were part of other songs. You know that Psalms was the songbook of the Israelites, the people of God in the Old Testament. These were all things that were sung repeatedly. repeatedly. It, it, was the, it was their country music of their day, literally their country, the children of Israel. 
And, and so as they sang through these things, this was, if, if you didn't read, you kept singing the songs and reciting the psalms, and you came to know the history. And you memorized it in this way. Why does the psalmist Asaph call them hidden things? Not because they were hidden in the sense that they had never been told. They were hidden because the children of Israel were prone to forget them. Because why? Because they're sinful. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but in the everyday challenges of life and when you're struggling against things and you, you see something in your life, you're like, oh, this is impossible. I don't know how this is going to work out. This is just so out of control. There's no way that you may be like the Israelites staring at the Red Sea with the the troops of Pharaoh on your back rushing up to you are going, we're out of options. This is hopeless. It's impossible. And in that moment, you're under stress and pressure from whatever it is, your job, an illness, um, a relationship. And under that stress and pressure, what do you do? Well, what I do is sometimes I forget how great God is, how much he loves me, how much not only he promises to be with me, but is with me. And how much I can trust boldly, like those Israelites we read in the, in the book of Joshua. I know, God, you told me it's impossible to follow you and believe you and trust you and think you're good even at times like this, but I still do. And how can we say that? Because God gives us this beautiful... Holy Spirit, who reminds us of the things we're prone to forget. Remember this quote? I'll bet you've all heard it at some point. George Santayana says, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Surely most of you have heard that. That's a very popular quote in our culture. I want you to think about that. Think about it this way first. In our own American culture, our, many of our colleges and universities and high schools have taken history out of the curriculum. I, I was talking to a young man uh, between services, and he affirmed that to me. He said, I'm studying to be a pilot. And then he reeled off his classes to study how to be a pilot. They were all aviation-oriented. He, he had some general ed, but I, I don't think he has a history class. So in our culture today, it's not only that we cannot remember the past, we're not even being taught the past. And so what's going to come about because of that? Well, what Santiana says is we're going to have to go back and make all the same doggone mistakes that the generations before us made. And that is horrible to think of. Young people, let me encourage you to take a history class or two. But now let me go from culture and society and today's universities to what Asaph, the poet, is talking about. He's talking about the history of God's people, specifically. And there too, like Santiana says, if we don't know the history of God's people and all the times they messed up, all the times they went off the rails, guess what's going to happen to us? We're going to have to experience all those mess-ups and going off the rails ourselves. 
where, if we knew some of this biblical history, wonderfully, we might be able to avoid making the same mistakes over and over and over again. And that's, that's why the psalmist says, I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. Do you hear the determination? I will. No one's going to stop me. Like the people of Joshua saying, I will trust the Lord. Asaph says, I'm going to tell you a little history. You need to know it. You need to remember it. You need to believe that what you believe is really real based on this history and not just all the screw-ups that you could avoid, but also the wonderful grace of God, the power and the strength that he has for you. Remember when you thought you were out of options and God opened up the Red Sea before you? Remember when you were wandering in the desert and you thought, there's no food there's no water, and there's no place to find either of those in this wilderness for over a million people. It's not like the jewel store is just down the block. There's no Costco here. What are we going to do? God provides. For all 40 years of them wandering through the wilderness, they never had to go hungry or go thirsty because God... When he needed to, he made water come out of a rock. When the people complained that manna was not good enough, he sent flocks of quail. I guess they were on a keto diet. They wanted meat. I don't know. But God gave them everything they complained about, that they asked for. And so Asaph says, we need to not forget this. We need to remember. But Asaph is also very, very wise in this way. Show the next quote. I don't know if you've ever heard this quote. Here's a philosopher, Friedrich Hegel. You may have heard of his name if you took a philosophy class. Look what he says. The only thing we learn from history is that we learn nothing from history. And you know what? Why do we keep having the psalmist like Asaph retell the history, retell the history, retell the history? What is the history of the Israelites? It is constant forgetfulness. Fast forward from the wandering through the wilderness where they kept complaining and grumping about God to the day of the judges. You know what the book of the judges is? It's the same story told about 30 times. God sent a leader to help the children of Israel. And as long as that leader was alive and was leading, called a judge, the children of Israel followed him and they were faithful to the Lord and they remembered their history and they knew God's goodness. And the moment that guy died, what happened? Everything was forgotten. So God sends another judge, another leader. He reminds them. They start to be faithful again. That goes on and on and on in the book of Judges. It also goes on and on and on in our lives. Now, I don't mean to start this message in such a discouraging way, but here's facing reality. Facing reality is that we are no less forgetful than our ancestors. And if you don't believe that about yourself, just think about all the times when you feel anxious and worried and concerned, maybe angry with God because He's not doing things the way that you want Him to do, and 
Out of your head goes all the times God has forgiven you, loved you, served you, strengthened you, been there for you, and you've forgotten it all. Here's what I want you to write down, and then I want to move on, because this is the, the, the discouraging truth of the things that we learn about history. As sinful, fallen people whose sinful nature is going to cause us to forget, whom Satan is going to lie to, just flat out lie to you and say, forget all that. You don't need to remember God and his goodness to you. You don't need to remember his direction and wisdom and laws for your lives. Forget all that. Your own sinful nature is going to tell you, just like the story of the original Pleasantville movie, which I'll share with you in just a second. Your own sinful nature is going to tell you there's a better way than God's way. So here's what I want you to write down first. The one thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. I know that sounds discouraging, but we're not going to stay there, I promise. It's just important that we acknowledge that first so that we can repent of it and say, like those people in the days of, of Joshua, we don't care that our sinful nature says that we don't learn from history. Doggone it, we're going to learn from history, God. We're determined to learn from history. And that's what I want to talk to you about next. Determination in the face of discouragement. So we called this series Pleasantville. Has anyone, this is an old movie, 20 years old. Anybody here see Pleasantville? I'm going to just very briefly, because you can go home, you can get on Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever, Hulu, whatever you use, and you can watch this movie Pleasantville. But let me just very briefly tell you what it is. Tobey Maguire, remember him, the, uh, the original Spider-Man? Well, he is the lead in this story, Pleasantville. And he is a kid, somewhat like me. When I was a kid growing up, there was a show on television called Leave It to Beaver. And I loved Leave It to Beaver because Leave It to Beaver painted a picture in black and white of this beautiful, idyllic world. Uh, Beaver Cleaver's parents... Uh, were perfect parents. He had a great older brother, Wally. There was the quintessential kind of naughty kid in the neighborhood, Eddie Haskell. And I just loved watching this show because it was so perfect. And my upbringing was far from perfect. But I had this sort of model, and I loved it. I glommed onto it. Well, in the movie Pleasantville, Tobey Maguire's character is named David, and he has a show black and white TV show named Pleasantville that he loves to watch, and he's inspired by it. He loves it. One day, a television repair guy comes to his house. He and his sister have an argument, and the, the repairman has left them with, I guess, what you would call a, a magic remote control. They're messing around, fighting over this thing, and they end up in Pleasantville, in this black and white town. Now, what's instructional if you watch this movie is what happens next. Tobey Maguire's character, David, thinks at first he's died and gone to heaven, right? Because he's in this show that's so idyllic and everybody is great. But then he begins to change and feel like this isn't the perfect place I thought it was. In fact, all these black and white people are repressed, they don't really have a free life. They're 
under all these strictures, and it's keeping them living this black and white life. And what, what I need to do is I need to introduce some freedom into their lives. And so what he does is he introduces 90s values, and for those of you who grew up in the 90s, he tries to introduce 90s values into the 50s. Well, a lot of things changed between the 50s and the 90s. In the movie, there's a line where there's a question. Do you know what happens out there on Lover's Lane? And I don't remember exactly how it goes, but of course, oh no, we don't know what's going on out there on Lover's Lane, right? That's the 50s. We don't talk about it, right? Well, Tobey Maguire's like, sexual freedom, baby. We need to open up. We need to, to, uh, to, to have conversations about things that are, that are tough. And in reality, what he's doing is, from a Christian point of view, bringing in things that would be out of line with God's will into a world that was in line with God's will, if you're looking at it as a Christian parable, and thinking that he's making things better and more free. What happens when the people start to shift over to Toby's point of view? They go from being black and white to color. You see the lie of Satan there? That's the lesson of this movie. That if we will just loosen up a little bit and, and free our minds from God and His will, what we've learned in this generation is smarter and better than those people, those stodgy old stiff people from the previous generation and the generation before that. And if we just spread the message... Life will be better, only it isn't. And so I'll let you watch the rest of that movie. My point is to say, in that movie, there ends up being this overwhelming force to change and to do things differently. And I'm guessing that you feel that way sometimes living in America today that you grew up with a certain set of values, and now as a parent, you want to pass those values, those truths. You want to pass Jesus and his love and forgiveness onto your children, only you feel overwhelmed. How am I supposed to resist all, all their friends, all the internet, everything that they've got facing them, all their social media, how am I supposed to resist a culture that says, not we don't talk about sex anymore. Not what's going on there in, in Lover's Lane. But nowadays, you know what it, the message is? Oh, no. Don't talk about what's going on over there in that building called church. Don't talk about that. You're a Christian. That's personal. Keep it to yourself. You don't need to be shoving your beliefs down our throat. That's what we have today. And the question is, how as a parent do we fight what seems to be overwhelming forces? Well, we do it by being determined even when things look discouraging. Even when the Joshua's of our day say, don't follow God, it's too hard. He's a holy God. We need to be the children of Israel and say, you Joshua's, we don't care what you say. 
We're following God. And you're not going to stop us. I'm going to demonstrate and talk about being a Christian, even if the world doesn't like me talking about being a Christian. I'm going to live that life out in my family, at my work. I mentioned Don Quixote before because I love that guy in literature. Here's a guy that is so convinced that what he believes is real, it changes his whole perspective on things, and he goes after things boldly that a lot of people are looking at him and going, you're just nuts. Do you see over yonder, friend Sancho, 30 or 40 hulking giants? I intend to do battle with them and slay them. Well, they turn out to be windmills, as I mentioned before, but that's okay. Christian, here's the point. Do you have that kind of spirit in you? That no matter all the things that are built from Satan and sin and the world around you, no matter how many of them are coming at you like Pharaoh and his army, and you feel like, there's the Red Sea, I don't know what to do, I'm out of options. Are you able to remember, well, God figured out a way. God had an option at the Red Sea. God's got an option for me. God had an option to supply manna in the wilderness, water from a rock. The Jordan, when the children of Israel, under instruction from God, were told, cross over now after 40 years into the land flowing with milk and honey, was at flood stage. Not a great time to cross the Jordan. And God says, tell the priests to pick up the Ark of the Covenant and step into the water. And step into the water. I'm sure someone's saying, well, are you going to stop the water before we step into it? Nope. Step into it while it's flooding and see what I will do. So I don't know if I'd have wanted to be the guy in the lead with that heavy box filled with the stone tablets. But what did he do? Okay, God. And I'm not going to do it here. But he stepped into the flooding, raging river. And as soon as he stepped in, not before, but as soon as his foot touched the water, God did. See, I've got an option for you. You thought you were out of options. You're not because I'm here. I love you. I'm powerful. And I will always take care of you. Parents, I hope you hear this message because sometimes we feel like we're facing incredible odds to say what the psalmist says here. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Here's what you've got to do to be a great parent in a world like today's. It's very simple. When you think you're out of options for your kids, never forget God always has plenty of options to help you. I know how hard it is to parent kids. I have five of my own. I now have, in just a few more months, a dozen grandchildren. And I'm going to talk about them in just a second. But let me tell you this. Be determined. Do not be discouraged. 
Be as determined as Asaph is to keep going with this message of Jesus as their Savior, as their Lord, as their salvation, as their forgiveness. Be determined to show them the right way, God's way. And I promise you, it's just like every other law that God has created. There's a law we call the, the law of gravity. And, and I, I can tell you, I can say, I, but I don't believe in gravity. And I can say, let me show you why not to believe in gravity. We're going to climb all the steps of Willis Tower. There's something coming up to do that, isn't there, Dan? We can do it together. We'll climb all the steps of Willis Tower. We'll come out at the top, and then I will show you what it means not to believe in gravity. From the top, I will step out and say, I don't believe in gravity. And I will leave the roof of the building. If I don't believe in gravity, what's going to happen? It ain't going to matter. I'm not going to float. I'm not going to fly. It's a law that God has built into his world. Did you know that about all the laws God has built into his world? The Ten Commandments, for example. Those are God's laws that he has. It's not just about do this and don't do that. These are laws like gravity that he has built into his world. And we can say, well, I don't believe them, but it doesn't matter any more than it would matter if I didn't believe in the law of gravity. It's still a law that God has built into this. We need to teach those to our children because they will have so much more peace and joy in their lives if we teach them this. All right, last point. What's the most important desire a parent can ever have for their child? Well, let me, let me share something with you personally. I'm batting 400. And unfortunately, I'm not a baseball player. If I was a baseball player, batting 400 would be great. I would be super happy at batting 400. If I was a major leaguer, it'd be astounding to be batting for an entire season 400. But I'm not talking about being a baseball player. I'm talking about being a dad. I have five kids. Three of them, it would be kind to say they have troubles with their faith, their Christian faith. Two of them are rock solid by God's grace, but three of them are not rock solid, far from. Of those three, some of them quite possibly just don't believe at all anymore. That's just the reality that I have to face and Julie faces. And it's devastating. I'll be honest with you. It's painful every day. Because we know exactly what that means and one of our prayers is, Lord, not today. Don't let them die yet today until they return to you. That's how difficult this is. And I'm not alone. I'm in a group of older people, our Tuesday group. Let me encourage you to stop by the tables. That's a sidebar. Join a group. But in our group of veteran Christians, older people like me, Almost every one of them has a story about a child that's not a believer anymore. This can happen to you. It can happen to anyone in this room as dedicated and devoted. Julie and I had devotions in our home every day. We, we worked hard to live out our faith and not only to believe that what we believe is really real, but to live as if what we believe is really real. We did all of that. 
they all had way more Christian school than I ever had. Christian elementary, Christian high school, one of them, no, three of them went to Christian colleges. And I'm batting 400. So what do you do with that? Well, I'm going to tell you what, I, what we do with it. I hope it'll be encouragement. Because it is discouraging to see your kids not believe. But remember, God makes promises. Look at this, and then I'm going to show you a promise that I lean on. This is our goal. This was Julie's and my goal when we taught them as kids, when we tried to start them in the right way, that they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds. That's what we wanted. That they would keep his commands, that they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. Ugh. There's a part of me that hates reading that. So now what? A dozen grandchildren that also, we hope, many of them from those, those three that don't believe, we have to pray for them too, right? But here's what we do. We know what the goal is. Put up Proverbs 22.6. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Julie and I were far from perfect parents. We still are far from perfect parents. But we did start our children off on the way they should go. Imperfectly, needing much of God's forgiveness and grace, we started them off. And do you see what God promises us and promises you? When they are old, they will not turn away from it. That's where Julie and I go. To God's promises. To, of course, we tried to raise them up correctly. I encourage you younger parents to do that. But then they're out of your control. So what then? What then is trust God. Know that God has options, right? Red Sea, opening it up. Jordan River, opening that up. And that if we will step out in faith, trust God, determined to trust him. Determined to share him with our kids and grandkids that God has a way. I don't know what his way is with my kids. I can't see into the future, but I do trust that God made me a promise, and I'm going to stick to that promise, and I am determined to call God out on that promise again and again and again until one day I see my kids in heaven. And that's what I want to encourage you to do today. Here's your next step. First of all, we'll do the, the final point. A Christian parent wants nothing more than their child trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior and be saved. So teach your children about Jesus. Let's join in confessing our Christian faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
All right, just a couple of quick family matters. You can find them and read them for yourselves all on the back of the program. I'm not going to dwell on these, uh, but please let me invite you, if you're still available, join us in the, in the parade today, uh, the Frankfurt Parade. It's a great way to witness to our faith. Uh, and if you're interested in sharing your faith with others in your life, kind of a topic today, then uh, next Saturday, September 10th, uh, we're having a seminar on how to share your faith with others. All the rest of these things you can read. I just want to give you a final encouragement, as I did in the message. Check out the growth group tables out there. Um, man, I cannot tell you how amazing it is to do life together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's truly a game changer for your faith. Let's pray, and then we'll do the Lord's Prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we lift up our people to you, the people of amazing love, our church family, and we lift up our culture and society and the people whom you have not yet brought into our church family, but you intend to, and we ask for your blessing upon them. We ask that they would know your grace and forgiveness, but also your wisdom and, and your laws of life so that they can enjoy life the way that you intend us to. Lord, uh, several of our members, Phil and Ann, uh, are requesting a prayer for their son, Levi, their daughter-in-law, Carly, and four of their friends who were involved in a shooting in Milwaukee, uh, completely unbeknownst to them, a shooting broke out on the street as they were waiting to get into a restaurant. One of their friends, Liz, was shot in the arm. So, Lord, we pray for Liz that she would fully recover from the injury, the, the bullet wound to her arm. And Lord, we're thankful that you protected all the rest of them in that incident. And please, Lord, intervene supernaturally. Help them begin uh, to, to feel safe again. Help them to go through the emotional healing process that's about to ensue. Lord, we pray for our members who are sick right now, uh, we pray a prayer of gratitude on behalf of Jeff and Raquel uh, Fink, who just recently had a son, Luigi. We're grateful that he was delivered safely. Uh, for Rebecca, for Bob, Don, Amanda, Diane, Hannah's dad, for Kelly and Cheryl, we pray for all of them that you would grant them health and recovery from their current illnesses and injuries. And finally, for our neighboring pastor, Pastor Josh, that you would grant him comfort and peace as his mother is in hospice and being called soon to her home in heaven. And Lord, we lift up all these prayers to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who also taught us to pray this beautiful prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.